Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff to spice up the bedroom is even better. Whether you're buying a gift for your sugar baby or just for yourself, you can get 50% off at adamandeve.com when you enter the code CANDY at checkout. And that's not all. Adam and Eve will include 10 tantalizing free gifts, a sexy item for him, a special gift for her, and a third item all partners can enjoy. Plus, you'll receive six free spicy movies. But the best part is the free shipping. You can get all of this at adamandeve.com using code CANDY at checkout. That's C-A-N-D-Y. So Shelby, what are you getting me? Candy Girl Podcast. Fuck me, Daddy. <laughs> hey, all you candy sluts and bubble butts. We are back with another episode. I'm Shelby. And I'm Emily. And we are here today with... Mistress Kiki. Hello. So before we dive into the interview, I did want to give everybody a little bit of background with our budding relationship with Mistress Kiki. We actually interviewed her a few weeks back. We had an incredible time. In our interviews with every single dominatrix, I had never been personally fucked with over the interview call. She found my weak spot being my belly button. And uh, we did everything in our power. There were just some like technical issues with it. So we'll post the episode in our Patreon. And we decided just to re-record, but focus on very specific issues in the sex community. So today we are super excited to dive into religion in BDSM. Shelby, what else? As a former Catholic, very interested in how you came from a background that sex was very taboo and something you didn't really talk about into a profession in which sex is kind of the main focus and how that transition went for you. And if it was awkward, because personally, I feel like if I tried to be a dominatrix, I literally would not know what to do with myself. <laughs> but wait, before before you answer, our okay. guest is also wearing latex. And I want you to envision that this entire interview, because she looks incredible. And I have so many questions about latex. So let's start with <laughs> Mistress Kiki. Will you introduce yourself? Okay, I'm Mistress Kiki, the ultimate femme fatale. <laughs> I am based in Houston, Texas, and I have been, for a couple of years, I've been doing this professionally, but I've always been this way. So in our last interview, you told us that you grew up in a very religious household. Would you mind providing a little bit of background about your childhood and how you were raised and how you discovered dominatrix work? So I grew up Southern Baptist, uh, which is quite common out, well, out in the Houston, Texas area. Some Southern Baptist and a little bit sanctified. And so <laughs> it, was a, it was a lot. Any sexual expression was very repressed. So I grew up in a very repressed household sexually. I didn't really discover who I was until I was a teenager. I had, uh, not to sound cliche, but I had my best friend, he was gay. He came out as gay. And this was back during the whole AIDS thing. If someone said they were gay back then, people just assumed the worst. And he didn't care. And I just loved him for it. And I didn't care. He's my best friend. And I lost other friends, but he helped me really. That was the journey that when I started to realize who I was. Back then, the gay community and the kink community were all kind of one back during those days. And I, I hate to age myself. But I was a teenager back then, and I saw places like the Binding Company, which just blew my mind. So there were these leather daddies, and, and I fell in love with it then. I, I didn't really embrace it because I was too young yet. 
And I really didn't quite understand who I was, but that was the gateway. I'll blame it on the mining company, Montrose in heaven. It's odd because I discovered myself at a club called heaven. But that was the, uh, that was the beginning. I think in the last interview, you had mentioned you were at a party, right? A, a, there was a person that you had met or a party that you went to that made you make the decision that like, I'm going to go into Dom work, right? Yeah. So years later, after the whole, you know, when I got introduced to the King community and, and, and really embraced all that, but I, I wasn't really out with who I was yet. I set life. I joined Fet life and I went to some lunches and then I went to a party and I met an amazing dominatrix there who was kind enough to take me under her wing and mentor me. So that's how I, that's how I really got into it. But Club Femme. I joined Club Femme. So I actually, I joined it with some other mistresses. I just went to parties and just really, uh, it, it just came naturally to me. I loved it. But I, you know, if you don't know what to do and you don't know much about the industry, you have to find it a way to learn. And it's almost like a mentorship. I mean, it's not like you can just go to any dominatrix and say, hey, teach me everything you know. Just just give me all your knowledge. It, it, it doesn't really, I mean, if there's a chemistry and you really want to learn, then you'll, it's more of a work study. How about, I'll say it like that. It's you work and you, you learn by working. So that's, that's how I really got into it. And like I said, she was, she was uh, established. Uh, she took me under her wing and taught me, you know, the business end of it and just taught me everything I needed to know before she retired. So I would love to hear a little bit about that experience, because like I said earlier, I remember when I first started like sexting boys when I was like 17, it felt so uncomfortable and I just didn't know what to say. And a huge part of being a dominatrix is humiliating your clients. So how was that for you? Was it very easy for you to kind of like glide into this role? Okay. Yeah. So tell me about that. I always felt I was, my relations, the way I related with men was odd, I guess, for because I wasn't a kind of girl you could give flowers to. So talking down to them, putting them in their place, that's how I naturally am. Like, I'm not interested in making them feel good about themselves. (laughs) That sounds terrible, probably. But I was never interested in that. It was always, what can you do for me? You know, are you worthy of, of being in my presence? So I was always headstrong. And I grew up, the women in the household I grew up with, I grew up with very headstrong, very domineering women. So that's that's all I knew. And it, it made it kind of difficult <laughs> when you when I was trying to, you know, date and go out with guys. You know, I, I was always seen I was always called cold and frigid and, and bitchy and bossy. Those were always words that that guys would attack me with because of the the way I am. So it, it came, yeah, it was it, humiliating it, it came easy. <laughs> it was not hard. Let's talk a little bit about your background and how that's correlated with your job right now. I know in our last interview, you mentioned as you went into dom work, you were in a relationship with somebody who was also very religious and very conservative. And that relationship came to an end because he couldn't accept that you wanted to go into sex work. How has that affected the way that you have viewed sex work before and after you've become a sex worker? So my view of sex work, I'll be honest with you, being raised Southern Baptist was very negative, like prostitutes. I, I actually, 
believe in growing up in a household full of women, you would think they would have been more sex positive, but they were not. They were very repressed, but yet very domineering. So I grew up with, you know, what people call whores, hoes, you know, that these were just bad women. But honestly, I was always fascinated by what them. <laughs> I was always, because they, they just, they took charge and they were doing what they wanted to do. So I always saw it as empowering. I just kind of kept it to myself. So going to the relationship that I was in. So when I got into that relationship, I, we were both raising our kids together. He was extremely religious, very conservative. Um, I mean, just typical red-blooded American Bible belt. He had been in the military, just a super, and, and I, I loved him. But when I started realizing that who I was and tried to come out, you know, that way with him, he was very unsupportive. Um, he basically told me that, uh, I, I was basically, I guess, in line with Satan, <laughs> he called uh, the whore of Babylon. He called me that. I mean, he attacked me with all this religious stuff he did. <laughs> uh, he used to call me Jezebel. Um, yeah, it was, <laughs> and so, you know, the, and I, I tried and for a moment it took me, I was taken aback because there was a little part of me from my early religious background that almost kind of felt like going into that, like like maybe he was right and all this about me is wrong. But then I was like, who is, who is he to tell me who I am? And I'm happy. <laughs> He's the one that's unhappy. So we had to part ways. Um, it was hard and it has, it, I mean, because I did really love him. And uh, even though he expressed his displeasure with who I was, I still wanted, you know, we had been together 14 years. We had this long history together. It wasn't easy, but I chose me in the end. You know, I, I have to be myself and I have to be happy. So, <laughs> but yeah, but it, it was hard. It wasn't easy. Um, but sex work for me has been empowering. And there are a lot of women that say that too. Um, I discovered who I was. I realized how valuable my time is now and it's in my confidence. It's just been wonderful for me. So I enjoy it. Let's get into religion and sex work. Emily, I know you have a couple of questions about how religion and sex work kind of coincide with each other. Yes, I am so excited. I did all the research. So first of all, I don't want to discount anybody's religious views. This is purely for educational purposes. I don't want to spread any blasphemy or outright shit on religion. I want to be really respectful while maintaining a really good dialogue. That way, for our religious listeners out there, there's not just an automatic shutdown. So getting into the fun parts now, first of all, the Bible never actually says anything about BDSM. And I checked over this over and over again. There are things about sex, but not BDSM explicitly. And being a dominatrix isn't the same thing as full service sex work. But the reason why I don't think that matters is because of Mary Magdalene, which is a very controversial topic within the church. So going back and just reading my site. So Mary Magdalene is one of the earliest followers of Jesus. She's talked about a lot in the Bible and Jesus has a lot of followers. The fact that this is one of the named ones or the fact that she is one of the named ones in the Bible means that she's very significant. So over time, it's shown her devotion and her love for Jesus. And Jesus is like, also loves her very deeply. And how deeply is very debated. 
I will tell you, I remember when I heard the story of Mary Magdalene washing Jesus's feet with her hair. And I thought, she really loves him. <laughs> Who washes a guy's dirty feet with their hair unless they're in love with him? So, and and I got in a lot of trouble for that. I, I remember getting a whipping because one, I said, I didn't believe the immaculate conception. That was hard. And I don't want, if anybody gets upset about that, I'm sorry. That's just me. And those, that's, those are my beliefs. But the relationship between Jesus and Mary, I didn't buy it was platonic. The whole hair washing his feet with her hair. I'm like, yeah, she really loves him. And this is not like platonic. That's, that's what I have to say about that. So there was a point in the church where her being a prostitute or even them having a more intimate relationship than, you know, Jesus and disciples was like, yes, that is the fact. The Bible explains it as such. But there was some time in about, from my sources, it says like 600 AD, where basically the church turned Mary Magdalene into a prostitute. And the reason for that is because it made a lot of men who led the early church uncomfortable the fact that they would have been seen if they had met Jesus, they would not have had as intimate of a relationship. So like demonizing her and turning her into a prostitute and the Catholic church being like, we don't like prostitutes. And a lot of that was misogyny turning this very important figure in the Bible into not being as important as all the popes that would come after. Is Mary the Gnostic? She's in the, the Gnostic Gospels. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. And so a lot of her, I think she even had her own gospel and they pretty much just cut all that out because obviously they didn't want a woman that was that important to Jesus having as much of a say in anything. I'm not surprised. (laughs) Another supporting point to you saying that Mary and Jesus probably had a much more intimate or not platonic relationship is there is a text Notice the Gospel of Felix that refers to Mary Magdalene as Jesus's companion says that Jesus loved her more than the other then, disciples. Th- yes, I know that one. Yes. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know you know this. I just want everybody to know this. I'm so <laughs> excited about this. But the most controversial part of that text is the text stated that Jesus used to kiss Mary often on her. And the reason it's blank is because Damage to the text left the last word unreadable. But a lot uh, of people think that it stands for mouth. But what if it wasn't? Well, we have two mouths. <laughs> Women have two mouths. <laughs> we have four lips. So, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> so, obviously, Christianity represses sexuality as intensely as possible. I remember growing up Catholic. That was probably... The biggest takeaway I got from going to church, it wasn't that Jesus loves me. It was like having sex is a sin and I will go to hell if I have sex before marriage. And and I'm sure that's not everybody's experience, but it was absolutely mine. And I do think it's a lot of people's experiences. Yeah, I, I agree. So yeah. as a former Christian, well, I'm, you might still be Christian. I actually have not asked that question. So I, I don't want to make that assumption. But I'm spiritual. As- I don't consider my, I'll, I'll go ahead and say, I, I'm, I, I'm just, I just, I'm spiritual because I don't go to church. Yeah. And, and I feel, you know, if if I called myself Christian, I would belong to a church and go to a church. And that's my opinion. There's people probably who don't go to church and they're, and that's on, you know, but in in my opinion, if I were to call myself a Christian it's because I belong to a church and I go to a Christian church and I don't 
So I'm just spiritual with a Christian background. Totally fair. I feel like I feel like I could identify with that as well. But it did leave me with a lot of sexual repression and later sexual trauma as far as I was very uncomfortable being intimate with my partners. It was very difficult for me. And your entire profession is based around doing things that would be sexual, maybe not for everybody, but for a large community of people. What was that process like for you of going through that and trying to process the suppression of sexuality in the church and now, you know, making sexuality your full-time job? Well, one of the things that's in about every dungeon is this St. Andrew's cross. So you've already got a cross in a dungeon. So in a way, a dungeon is like a church to me. I'm just That's my experience. So when we, when I have a session or when I'm playing, we are both trying to get to a place. It, just like if you go to church, you go there, you get this, um, you're trying to reach a place in your mind. And, and you are. Same thing when you have a session. You're, you're trying to get to this place and you can connect with your partner on a level that's higher than if you were to just have uh, traditional intercourse. So a lot of, and you can do, as a professional dominatrix, a lot of people see us to have that experience because they're accessing these subspace, um, is what it's commonly called. You're, you want access to that. That doesn't always necessarily happen. But when you when they when you have a really good session and I've had them, it's like it's ecstasy, which, you know, that's a, a really a religious experience. You go into ecstasy. The breathing changes. I mean, I've seen all kinds where sometimes people can barely stand up. They have to lay down for a little while, which they need some aftercare. Um, but, yeah, it's I would dare call. I mean, I I don't want to turn anybody off by calling it that. But it is like a religious experience, like ecstasy where you're, you're trying to get there. And so everything in the dungeon, just like if you went to a church, the altar, the pews, the book, everything in there, it represents something in your mind and it helps take you to that place. Same thing happens in a dungeon. The St. Andrew's cross, the dominatrix that's there, all of this, the smell of leather, all of these things help take the most subs or slaves, however they like to identify, to a certain place. The same thing would happen to people who really love going to church. And there are people who love going to church. And trust me, I know, because I still have them in my family. They go religiously. So I'm curious, (laughs) as somebody who is spiritual and also grew up very Christian, do you feel like you could really find religion in like any community? Yeah, I do. I think you can find religion in any community. Absolutely. Because at the core, what I, I know religion gets a organized religion gets a bad rep, but what we, what we're all trying to do is trying to connect to each other's and a higher power. That's what we're trying to do. Whatever the higher power it may be for you, because the higher power is, can be inside of you. For some people, it's, they see it, it's outside of them, but Whatever that higher power represents or means to you, you're trying to connect with someone else so y'all have this experience together. And that's what you do in church. That's what people do at sports. You know, if, if you're all into a certain sport together and you go to these games, you see how 
fanatical people are when they go to a football game. They're all together trying to have this experience and, and touch a higher power with them themselves and together. So that's, yeah, that's how I feel about it. So we've already talked about the St. Andrew's Church and kind of the, I guess, ceremonial similarities between church and going to a dungeon. What other overlaps do you see in BDSM slash dom work and punishments in religion? For example, the fact that Jesus was punished by being hung on a cross, and I'm assuming people also want to be punished by being hung on the cross. So here's my thing about, about crosses. So traditionally, and, and most dungeons, there's a St. Andrew cross, and, and I, it, it's fine. But I actually prefer, and I'm sure it's because of my religious background, I prefer the actual crucifix, crucifix, which there are some dungeons, there are some people who have those. Like the actual cross, you can actually put a person on a the crucifix. So there is that overlap, putting a person on the cross. Then you've got the flogging, or the cat of nine tails. Yeah, there, there's a lot of similarities. But the punishment, a lot of the things that we do, I do believe comes from the Catholic Church. The Spanish Inquisition is one of them. Um, I actually have some things myself. Like I have a, her- uh, it's called a heretic fort. And what they would do is for heretics, there was this fork that goes this way. So basically it's to get you to confess. I mean, your head's held like this, but if you think about it, you can't really talk. So I don't get what they did that, but it's called a heretic's fork and you can't lower your head. And if you do, uh, you know, it stabs right here. The one I have is, is non-lethal. It's not gonna, I mean, it makes it hard for you to put your head down and it makes it very uncomfortable, but it doesn't pierce into the flesh. The, the, you know, the Spanish Inquisition, they, they were pretty serious and hardcore. So they, they, yeah, they went for blood. The humiliation, even we do humiliation. They did a lot of that. There's a bastinado foot torture. I've seen that. The Catherine's will. That's, a, again, all of this stuff is it's from straight out of religion. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of punishment. Even whipping with belts and things. I mean, the whippings themselves that, that you do and can do are forms of punishment that come from the church. Bro, it's like Christianity was the OG BDSM. <laughs> I've heard someone say that and I completely agree. I think if it wasn't for the Spanish Inquisition, we probably wouldn't have BDSM. Thank you. The Catholic Church gave us BDSM. I love that take. <laughs> and again, nothing against BDSM in the Bible. So no. growing up a Catholic in Texas, one of the worst things I could do was ask questions. I remember one time my parents got so fed up with me asking argumentative questions that I got the worst ass whooping later that day. And it only made me ask more questions. Did you ever experience something similar? Oh no, I I I I endured a laying of the hands when and it was the weirdest, creepiest thing that happened to me because uh again, the whole, you know. Because I wasn't, I never really took to it. I, I got in trouble a lot because I questioned uh, <laughs> our religion. I just couldn't help. It just didn't make sense to me. And I really wanted it to make sense. So I got in trouble a lot. But I, I yeah, I've had where they, they, they come and they, they would, they lay their hand and it was just, it's just weird. It's just, it's weird. Weird. I kind of felt like some of the people doing it were just doing it to fill me up, but, uh, you know, eh. 
<laughs> now that I think about it, it is kind of whack that like going to a dungeon, you know, especially for like very healing reasons. There are so many healing benefits of sex work, especially associated mm-hmm. with childhood trauma. And yeah. that's one thing. That's probably my favorite thing that I've learned about this entire show. But nobody really questions the seven sacraments. And I don't know if that's, I think it might be like a Catholic church thing. I don't know if they have it in other denominations. It's mentioned, but it's not. Yeah, it, it, it's, it, I grew up, I've heard about it, but it, it they focus more on uh, Revelation a lot. Like Genesis and Revelation. That, that was their favorite part of the church I went to. That was, most of the sermons came from that. So I learned, knew a lot about revelations, this all because that's what they love, uh, which is, is actually pretty sad because they were always focused on the, the uh, end of the world. So, yeah. Mistress Kiki, we talked a little bit in our last episode with you about discrimination against sex workers and you experiencing it for the first time and you're a woman of color so I'm sure discrimination is Mm -hmm. not something you're unfamiliar with has the discrimination of you being a sex worker ever felt different from that or is it all kind of the same and what was what was learning to deal with it like for you so every now and then I get what we got we get what we call time wasters and it takes a few minutes to figure out this person's just wasting your time. And so what, what you'll do is I, I realize they're wasting my time. And it's just like, hey, you're wasting my time. I'm not going to deal with you anymore. I'm going to block you. And then they'll throw out like the N word and crap like that. And you're like, okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I've encountered that with time wasters. I've never, obviously a client who chooses to see me isn't, unless you're doing race play, then there's people who do play like that, but that's negotiated and discussed. But as far as someone just being discriminatory towards me, I haven't, it, in the kink scene, I have dealt with it. I've only had to deal with it with time, with just rude, stupid time wasters. And I'm pretty sure everyone in the sex work industry has to deal with these idiots. But yeah, I just, I, oh, gosh, I don't even get me started on time wasters, but yeah, they are the worst. Yeah, we just had a discussion with another dominatrix about horophobia and all of the things associated with that. And a lot of people feeling like they're empowered by being sexual and sexy, but Mm -hmm. at the same time wanting to distance themselves from sex workers. Like, oh no, I would never do sex work. Like, it's a taboo thing. Yeah, they would. So... Going back to time wasters, these are people that want to indulge in their fantasies, but they have all this shame and hate with it. So they basically will harass anybody in in sex work. They will they'll look up on your Instagram, Twitter, email you, call whatever, and just to waste your time pretty much. And then when you figure it out, when you've done it long enough, yeah, I can tell when some there's some clever ones every now and then that I probably wasted about 10, 15 minutes on. But usually within the first five minutes or so, I can tell this person's a time waster and I'll just shut them down. But a lot of those people, like I said, they, uh, uh. And then you just wish, like, just embrace who you are. And there's nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong with hiring a dominatrix, an escort, a, a cuddler, even though I, I consider it sex work. I know it's not, but it's kind of in the realm. Uh-huh you know, a professional color, because I don't know what the limits are with cuddlers, but 
if you need to hire someone and it makes you feel good to enjoy, you should not feel shame about it. And anybody who does this work shouldn't feel any shame doing this. It is work. It is definitely, it is work. It isn't like, I know, I guess uh, sex work has the um, the illusion that everyone who's doing it is just having a good old time and it's not really work because we're just having fun. And I'm like, there's a lot of work that goes into creating content and managing clients, dealing with time wasters, managing your time and, and, and taking care of yourself on top of that because you can get burned out. I've been so busy the last two weeks, I was getting a little bit of burnout. So I, I was like, I've got to do something so I can get back to being me because I love what I do, but it can get overwhelming. When you're going from session to session, and I do in-person sessions and online sessions, and I do phone sessions. So I do a variety of things. So, and and sometimes a lot, I get, I get really overwhelmed. If there is somebody listening right now who has a lot of shame around their kinks and is interested in going to see a dominatrix, but doesn't know how to approach one, what would you say to them? So what I would suggest is, and he, uh, most dominatrixes prefer an email and that's probably easier. So you don't have to talk or anything, but send a very polite email, just describe what you look like. So they, they have an idea of who they would be seeing, what you're interested in, uh, any experience that you have or don't have, because I can tell you every dominatrix will more than likely see you. If you're in it, you do not have to have experience to see a dominatrix. A lot of us do an intro to BDSM to see where you're at. There's also the fear that if you go see a dominatrix, she's just going to do whatever she wants. You're going to be beaten. And, and, and I've dealt with people that all the time. That's not how it works. I need to find out what you're, I direct the activities, but I have to know what your interests are and what your limits are. There's no way I would have a session with someone and their limits are golden showers. And I start out with, here's a golden shower, just because I'm you know, i the dumb matrix and it's just because what I want to do. Well, that would be horrible because you wouldn't enjoy, they don't enjoy it and, and I definitely don't enjoy it. And that's a horrible experience for anybody that doesn't want that. But you, yes, definitely give them, have a list of things you are interested in. And most, a dominatrix job is to direct the, those activities. So you may have six things that you want to do but she focuses in on three because she can see that you're new and these three things are a good start for you to start out with. So if you're, you're new and you are like, well, I want, you know, heavy extreme bondage. You know, I want to be uh, mummified. I want mummification, but I've never been in bondage before. That's probably not a good start. You know, some light tying you up a little bit and start from there. But, you know, the extreme end is being completely mummified which would be quite terrible if you have never uh, experienced bondage before. Okay, so what are some red flags for you as far as clients go? Like when a client reaches out to you, what's a red flag? Like I couldn't work with that person. Well, for me, uh, a major red flag is when they start talking about they want to worship me. Now, to anybody else, that might sound good, but it's code for I want to have sex with you that's not going to happen in the session. So when they start talking about, well, I just want to worship your body. And I, and, cause I have clients where I ask, what do you, what are your interests? Oh, well, I just like the work. I just want to worship your body. So right there, I already know you are not really interested in kink and you're trying to negotiate something I'm not into. So I'm not into having sex. That's not what I do. And I often will refer people, if you're interested in just worshiping a woman's body, 
then there are beautiful, plenty of beautiful escorts, you know, that they can get in touch with and you can have that experience. But I don't provide that kind of service. So that's a red flag for me. Anything about wanting to switch it up and turn it around and tie me up, I get that request too. I'm not a submissive, so that's never on the table. And I won't work with anybody that even makes those suggestions. So anyone that starts crossing my boundaries or trying to negotiate things that I say I'm not into, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to have a session with you because I'm not going to spend a session arguing with you about what I don't do and what you want done. That, that, that's not how it works. What does an ideal client look like for you? Oh my God. And I've had those. So an ideal client is going to send you an email, a polite email. Um, they're going to ask what your availability is, which they do. Uh, and once you've set that up, they send their deposit. They're, they're on time and they, they have an attitude of service. They're, they're ready. We, I get a plenty of those and those are always my favorite. Now, as opposed to what I said, someone who says, oh, I just want to worship your body. I also get the guys to say, you know what, mistress, goddess, I just want to be of service to you. What, what, uh, anything that you want me to do, uh, I'm going to do it. So those guys are pretty open. They're just basically saying they're open to whatever my interests are, which I have listed on my website. So then I'll just go through some of the, you know, and that's just going to be a fun session for me because I'm basically going to do the things I'm interested in doing only. <laughs> I don't have to like add in their interest, which is, I don't mind. Most, most people have, most of the people who see me, we have similar interest anyway. They're more focused on just pleasing me and just doing exactly what I want. And that gives them pleasure because they're into service. I was going to say we could move into the latex conversation because I know you have some questions about latex, but I do want to talk about the men from the woodlands okay? because that's our hometown that you <laughs> dominate. <laughs> the Willanites. The Willanites. Oh, gosh. I love that you have a nickname. <laughs> that's what for I them. call them, that's the Willanites. So I've been telling yes. everybody about uh, the Woodlandites. <laughs> They're, they're called Woodlandites. <laughs> they're their own little thing. <laughs> they're fun. I, yeah, because there's a lot of people with the oil and gas industry out there. And a lot of my clients do come from that area. But for the most part, most of them are pretty good clients though. They, they, they're well-behaved, but they're seeing a dominatrix. So <laughs> I haven't really had anybody from that area yet that has um, gotten, you know, just somebody I wouldn't work with. I just love knowing that there are people from the woodlands who are going to see like perfect cookie cutter, like mm -hmm. dystopia woodlands that are going to see dominatrixes. I love that. If I could have it my way, hopefully up and coming soon, there'll be a dungeon in the area. So I won't say where, but I hope to have one on this side of town because I think it would be awesome. So for all my ecosexuals out there, I would like to point out that people from the Woodlands commonly work at companies you've probably heard of, ExxonMobil, Shell, BP, Anadarko, which is now Oxy. That's why I said the oil and gas industry. <laughs> They're getting what's coming to them. Well, I have to be really careful because I don't want them to run me out of town, but that's the ultimate place where I would like to have my own dungeon hopefully soon. Uh, would be in that area. There's a way to do it. So <laughs> it'll be at a secret location. They need it. <laughs> they do. They do. 
So let's talk latex a little bit, because I know Emily has some questions about it, and I'm also very unfamiliar with it. As a woman with thick thighs, I feel like latex would be a bad option for me, unless they have no. thick thigh-friendly latex. No, they do. So, like, this dress I'm wearing, the secret to latex is, is having it customized. That's why it's so expensive. If you put in your measurements, anyone can wear latex. I know there's people that think, no, like, latex is difficult to get into. Okay, that's the only downside. But if you love the way it looks, anybody, any body type, you can wear latex. You can. The, what you need to do is you need to find a company that does custom latex. All the latex pieces I have are custom. Because other than that, the fit looks bad. It, latex only looks bad if it is not customized to your body. Because it doesn't fit right. And it bunches and weird, you know, it's got pockets, bubbles, pockets, all kinds of things happen. But just get, get get customized latex and you will be fine. And, and anyone can look good in it. Um, anyone. And Vivashine. I, I, I'm a Vivashine. I know there's a powder people. I'm not a powder person. There's people that put powder and then put latex on. I tried that. It was horrible. I hate it. I just use Vivashine. It, it, it conditions the latex and it's slick. Well, you can slide into it. So... That's another thing too. If you're going to get into latex, you got to figure out whether you're going to be, you're going to use powder to get into it, or you can use something like Vivashine to get it on your body. And the best way to take it off, a cat suit is basically in the shower because you can take it off. And the beautiful thing about latex, it's the clothing you can just get wet. You can just, <laughs> it's good for it. So when you say take it off in the shower, is that hot water? The temperature, it depends on your, so I had a cat suit. I washed it in warm water. It started to swirl and cloud. I just about lost my mind because the the it's a three hundred dollar cat. It was three, it was three hundred bucks for that cat suit, and I thought I had this crappy latex and it was falling apart. What I didn't realize is that there's something about latex that when it hits water, it will cloud, but it'll turn back to its normal color. So if you use warm water, it may cloud a little bit. Don't freak out and think that it's ruined or anything like that. Just let it hang, and then it'll, it should turn back to its normal color. If I were mm -hmm. to already have, like, a possible piece of latex that I see on Etsy, and I were to buy it, yes. is there anything that I could be surprised about or anything that I could not know about before purchasing? Okay, so here's what you don't... If you're going to go with a cat suit and you're a beginner, what you want is a zipper in the front. I, every, I love zippers in the back, too. But unless you're experienced with latex, you're probably going to spend a day and then you're going to get frustrated because you just can't, especially if you're by yourself. But getting on the ones that zip in the back are, are, are a challenge. You're definitely going to want the latex that zips in the front. You can get in it by yourself. It's, it's, a, it's, it's work. And it doesn't matter what latex you get. It's always work getting into latex. It just is. But you want to get a zipper in the front for your first catsuit. And then if you're very new and you just want to see if you like latex, I would get a latex dress. I'm wearing this one because it's super easy to get in. I mean, it was still a struggle, but I got it on. But it's easier to get into my cat suit. My cat suit is just, I didn't, I honestly just couldn't fight with it today. And I was scared because my nails are long. I was worried about uh, ripping it. So I was like, I don't have help. If I had my slave to help me, then I, I would have done it. But I don't have him here today to help, so. When you wear, or if you were to wear one of the more elaborate more complicated latex pieces to a session is it normal that a slave help you get into it i guess during the session before the session 
Microsoft Word. It's really up to so I most most dominatrixes. If you're going to get them in a latex session, you're going to pay more for that. It's going to it costs more because of the time it takes to get into latex. And yes, uh, the slave or submissive can be part of that if they want to do latex worship. They can be part of of that, and it's really up to each dominatrix if she does it that way or if she's already dressed when you get there. And and she probably, she may have someone that, that helps her get into it, or she may just get into it herself. So that depends. So with cat suits specifically, mm-hmm. I'm already having a hard enough time getting into my skinny jeans. Do you have to like lube up your legs? Yeah, so, so if you're going to get in a cat suit, be prepared to just lube up your whole body. Everything the latex is going to touch you're just going to lube it up. Your, your feet, your, 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 you lube up your whole body. You don't want too much your hands. Obviously, your hands will be sticky. I mean, slippery. But you're going to lube up your whole body. And then you're going to work your way into, you're just going to work it onto your body. You got to, you know, one leg first, pull it up, smooth it out, because you get little pockets of air, and then pull it up a little more, smooth it out. And you can do one leg at a time. And then you do the other leg. Now you've got, and then once you get up to your legs, now you got to get up to your hips. And then that's going to be some work. Now you've got it up to your hips. Now you've got to get cat suits, especially like I told you with the front zip, you get your arms in. Once you get your arms in, now you got to work that all the way around until you can get it close to where it will zip. But uh, if you're looped pretty good, it should, sl- it should just slither on your body. <laughs> and yeah, you'll be set. I feel like I know the answer to this, but what type of lube is recommended for latex? Vivashine. Vivashine is, I believe it's oil-based. I have to grab the bottle, so I'm not sure, but it's Vivashine. Here's the thing about Vivashine. It is lube to get you in the latex, and it will protect your latex, and it will keep it shiny. So the powder people out there put powder on. Here's the thing about powder, too. Do not use cornstarch. Cornstarch will eat up your latex. So you need to use a talcum that is not corn, which I don't know. But I, I've been told that uh, cornstarch will eventually uh, rot your latex. And latex has probably a shelf life of about five years. Um, I, I know people have had them go longer if you take really good care of it. But latex is it's an expensive fetish because it doesn't last very long. And you have to take care of it also when you have your latex. Be sure to store it in a dark place. Do not leave it in a place of light. Put it in a bag and store it somewhere dark in your closet. You can put it in a plastic bag, but store it in a dark place, separate it from, don't let any metal touch it, and put it in a bag by itself. Don't put anything else in there with it uh, because metal will uh, destroy latex too. What is the appeal of the latex fetish? I love scuba. So I, I, I guarantee you a lot of people into latex likes scuba diving and that was something that happened as a kid and then when I saw the the apparatus that you use to breathe out of and then then you throw in gas masks and latex you're like I'm in heaven all these things turn me on I love it all together so I think a lot of people into latex probably are into scuba diving gas masks uh and like this whole rubber fetish so yeah you you obviously there's no way anybody could have known these things could have been connected but I remember in our last interview I talked about how my mom at some point was like I think I'd be a really good dominatrix and I was like hell yeah mom you should find a mentor and like explore that and 
The main reason she didn't is because she wanted to move cities, so she didn't want to, like, waste anybody's time. Mm -hmm. But I remember her on the phone being like, oh, yeah, I had a bunch of, like, latex things, but recently it just reached its expiration date, so I had to throw them out before I moved. And I just made the connection with my mom used to be very into underwater cave exploration. See? Yes. And there's a lot of latex involved. Yes. Rubber. There's a lot of rubber. A lot of people, they, I think there are even parties where you can, you can wear scuba gear and latex. There's pool parties for it where you can get in, you know, because if you're in latex, you can just hop in a pool. It's not a big deal. You're, you're in latex. It's not like, like, no, no, my clothes are going to get wet. (laughs) You're in rubber. So it's fine. And it's not a big deal for it. So, um, yeah. Have you been scuba diving? I have not had yet because after the whole COVID thing happened, I haven't yet. I want to go. I'm planning a trip uh, next year. So hopefully I can. And I don't have all the dives in yet to be a certified diver. I think there's 10 dives before you're certified. And I don't have my 10 in yet. So I'm working on it. <laughs> okay. But you've been all right. Um, so we're coming toward an end for the episode. Mistress Kiki, do you have any final thoughts or anything you'd like to share with our audience before we head out? Well, I had a knitting needle, but I won't show it because I don't want to scare Emily about the needle, the knitting needle and the belly button. (laughs) I have it, but I didn't show it because I didn't want to throw her completely off. But Show I me, bet, show me. Oh, our listeners want to hear. Uh, our okay. listeners want to hear my reaction. Okay, I promise. Okay, okay. <laughs> so I might regret this. While Mistress Kiki is getting her knitting needle, this is a great time to plug our Patreon because she did start dominating us halfway through our last interview that we did with her. And because the audio is so messed up that we we can't like do it for a real on our podcast, but go to our Patreon, hear her dominate us, and then us realize it halfway through. <laughs> uh, wait that how how uh, it's just how a, what part you so you can poke with I mean it won't you know <laughs> but it is definitely a knitting needle and they're a lot of fun I use them for foot torture <laughs> and you can play with people's belly buttons with them There are other people out there who was weird about their belly button as me, right? That you've also tortured? Um, not with these yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for an Emily to come into my life. And <laughs> I'm not weird about belly buttons, but that, that also freaks me out. I thought about you. You know what? Every time, every time I look at these, I think of Emily. I do. I think of her now. Every oh time God, I'm, I'm so flattered, but also horrified. <laughs> maybe maybe i just need somebody to just get it over with you know maybe i'll get over my fear yes there you are you can get that totally get that worked out (laughs) mrs kiki if somebody wants to be dominated by you or them have knitting needles in their belly button by you (laughs) how would they be able to find you Mistress Kiki, and that's spelled K-E-I-K-I dot com. So I have a website. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter. 
And we also have a website, candygirlpodcast.com. You should go check out. You can find Mistress Kiki on our social media. As soon as this episode comes out, we'll be on Instagram at candygirlpodcast and Twitter at candygirlpod. Mistress Kiki, thank you so much for talking with us a second time. Sorry, things have been so chaotic. It's okay. Thank you. I loved it. I enjoyed it. I, I would Anytime y'all want me back, let me know. I, I love it. Absolutely. And we will hear from you guys next Friday.